Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. is Pastor Kurt. I'm the online campus pastor. If I have not met you, I just want to say welcome. I hope I get a chance to meet you. Hello to my friends online. It's good to uh, see you as well. I'm hoping it's good for you to see me. Uh, if it's not, I apologize. So, um, but I wanted to um, want to start at the beginning as we close this series because Jesus loved to flip er, uh, earthly, er, the earthly world on its head. With heavenly wisdom and insight, uh, there's plenty of scriptures. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Turn the other cheek, and perhaps the most well-known of all of them. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And so here we are at the end of our book, uh, of our series on Proverbs. We took the whole summer. Um, some of you got here once or twice and didn't realize it, and some of you are here every week, and you're glad it's finally ending. Um, but the bad news is school started, or the good news is school started, depending. Um, but we want to start at the beginning and, and hopefully end with a, a way of equipping you to continue on the journey of wisdom, to continue to discover wisdom in your everyday life. And so in that spirit, we're starting uh, with Proverbs 1. You heard uh, Flora read some of that to you. Uh, verse, uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then it's reiterated again in Proverbs 9. It says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And so we want to we then use this as the equipping. Now, I want to hopefully answer a couple of questions this morning. Number one is, what is the fear of the Lord, and why does it matter for wisdom? Now, I think it's important. A lot of times preachers will do this, this uh, thing where they think it makes them look smart, um, where they'll break apart a word, maybe in the Hebrew, you know, and there's this part and there's this part, and they mash it together and they say, poof, there it is. You understand what, what we're talking about, okay? This is not one of those cases. We cannot take fear and the Lord mash it together. And, and have an understanding of what the fear of the Lord is. No more than you can take butter and you can take a fly and understand what a butterfly is. So we cannot take fear and we cannot take the Lord, push them together and just understand what a butterfly is, understand what the fear of the Lord is. So I want to start with this word fear. What exactly do we understand fear as? And I think it's important that we look at fear because so much of American religion and American society is rooted in fear today. 
If you turn on the TV, if you uh, turn on social media, if you, if you read a newspaper, all of these things convey fear to us. We have this idea of, of you know, fire and brimstone, right? The, the preachers holding the signs, uh, turn and burn, repent. This is a weird one, because I want to read it this way. Repent, wicked, or else to hell. And I don't think that's how they intended it, but neither here nor there. I have to be honest. I, I googled this picture. I found this one, but I googled, you know, repentance and hell. And there were so many pictures on there that I, I went to go, oh, I, can, I'm, I can't put that up. It was that hurtful and that filled with fear that I said, I can't even put those on a screen for the people of God to see. And yet it was, the, it was quote unquote, people of God holding those signs. Fear cannot be the guiding force of our life and our faith. Fear cannot guide us because when it guides us, it takes us to dark places. It takes us to despair. It takes us to pain and hurt and evil. A a friend of mine, um, he was telling me a story. He had had some family members over, and one of his family members, um, who was not a Christian, um, began talking to him and said, you know, I don't feel like God could love me. And he said, well, what, what, what do you mean by that? And unpack it. And, you know, and, and this, this young man, like many of the people we know and love, had his issues. And he said, you know, the, the things that, that Christians convey to me about God, you know, hating sin and, and, you know, that turn and burn. He said, there's no way that God could love me and welcome me in. And, and if we're honest, how could we argue with that? It wasn't that young man is hearing us wrong. It's that so oftentimes we are conveying it wrong because it's rooted in fear. And so we want to, I want to start with this idea that fear in that phrase, fear of the Lord, has nothing to do with what we think of as fear in our everyday lives. Instead of fear driving our faith, though, I think our understanding of God needs to inform our understanding of fear. And so I want to look at this word, the Lord, as we talk about it. Because I believe that Lord should transform our understanding of fear as we understand this entire phrase. So let's look at the Hebrew for this. The Hebrew for fear of the Lord is Yirit Yahweh. So a side note, when you're reading your scripture, when, the, when you read the scriptures in the English, you will oftentimes see this word Lord. And it's usually capitalized, and many times in, in entire, you know, the entire word is capitalized. And there's a reason for that. See, whenever you see that word Lord, you're actually reading the word Yahweh. Now, what is the word Yahweh? Yahweh is the Hebrew word for the name of God. Now, the Israelites had this thing that they did. Instead of saying the holy name of God, which God reveals in Exodus 3 when he comes to Moses in the burning bush, Moses says, what is your name? And God says, Yahweh. Now, we don't even actually know if that's the, pronu- the correct pronunciation of the Hebrew word for the name of God. 
But here's what the Hebrews did and the Israelites did, is they did not want to break the commandment of thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. And so instead of saying the word Yahweh, they would say the word Adonai. And Adonai directly translates to the word Lord. So whenever you read the word Lord in, in the scriptures, in the context of saying it's God, it's using the very name of God, the, the God of Israel, the creator of the universe. And, and it's a holy name. It's a perfect name. And so when you read the fear of the Lord, you're very specifically understanding that we are in a, some kind of relationship. We haven't decided what yet, but we're in a relationship with the living God. There is a, a relating there. Now, I want to look at, at Exodus 34. God reveals himself to Moses. And, and the backstory here, if you go into it, um, Moses is going back up the mountain to get the, sec the Ten Commandments the second time. So I, I don't—maybe we should—the the 11 through 20 commandments. And so—and in and, and this, God is going to pass by uh, the cleft of the mountain. Moses is going to stand behind it. And this is what God says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh— a merciful God, let me, let me, let's actually read this. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And, and it goes on, I'm gonna, it's not up here, but I'm going to read the rest of it. In verse 7 it says, Keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, yet by no means clearing the guilty by visiting the inequity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. This is the God of Israel. This is Adonai. This is Yahweh. A God that defines himself first, first, as a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yes, God is a God who can judge the wicked, who can crush the power of evil. And if you have ever suffered pain or, or hurt, you want God to judge that. If everyone gets a free pass, if every action gets a free pass, what kind of God is that? But God first defines himself as merciful and gracious and slow to anger. This is the God we worship and follow. Not a God rooted in fear but a God of love. A God that looks at each of us and calls us children of God. And so to fear the Lord, if we allow the concept, the, the meaning of the Lord to inform fear, what I think it's saying now is to fear God is about following and serving a God who is merciful and gracious, patient and loving and faithful. To fear God is about remembering that, yes, God will judge the wicked and has the power to crush evil, but he is also a loving God first and foremost. It's about recognizing his vastness and his tenderness. It's about recognizing that he is all-powerful and all-knowing, 
and he's everywhere, and yet he invites us into his love and his presence. Now, if you don't believe me, you don't have to because the scriptures picture, paint this picture. Every time a person in scripture comes face to face with the Lord, they are afraid. And yet God says, do not be afraid. Mary, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary. We all know the story. Comes to Mary to proclaim that she's pregnant with Jesus. And the first thing that, she, that the angel of the Lord says to her is, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Which, if, he's, if the first thing the, the angel is saying is, Do not be afraid, she was afraid. Because when you are in the presence of God, you better be holy and blameless, because otherwise God struck, struck you dead. And yet when God is actually there, he says, Do not be afraid. Isaiah 41 <clears throat> Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. When we come into the presence of God and we are trembling with fear, afraid of God, not just respecting God, but literally afraid of God, God says, do not be afraid. God is inviting us into relationship. I love how one author says it. The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends herself humbly and carefully to the Father's law, to the Lord's law. I, I love that picture of the affectionate Reverence, bowing before God, saying, God, you are God, and I am not. And yet you call me child. You call me loved. You call me out of fear into the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, then, is about a relationship. It's about coming to God and being forgiven, acknowledging your sins, but accepting God's love. And that is why the fear of the Lord is so important and is the beginning of wisdom. It's because wisdom is found in a relationship with God. So I want to leave us with, with two ways to continue to discover wisdom in your everyday life. I don't want this pursuit of wisdom to end with this sermon series. The series gave you different perspectives from different preachers about how to apply wisdom to specific areas of your life. But I guarantee you is we didn't hit all of the areas and we didn't even offer the right perspective on some of those areas. We might have missed. And so I want to equip each of you to discover eternally relevant wisdom for your everyday life. So the first way that I believe we can discover wisdom is to discover godly wisdom by staying connected to the Lord. So Proverbs, as we I talked about in the first sermon in this series, is a diverse book. It's one of the reasons I love Proverbs. Is it's, it's got wisdom from all over the ancient world. Solomon... Um, 
who was king at the time, you know, commissioned basically this, this writings, this works. But he, he didn't just say, like, I want ancient, um, you know, Israelite wisdom. I want wisdom from everywhere. Because wisdom can be found anywhere and everywhere. And so, undoubtedly, there are many, many different cultures where wisdom comes into the scriptures here. One example is we know that the Egyptians' uh, wisdom is within Proverbs. And I want to share a a verse, a a part of a teaching from Pahotep. I said at the first service, he's not here to tell me I pronounced his name wrong. Um, But Pahotep, um, in his writings, in his instructions, says this, And they that are guided do not go astray, but they that lose their bearings cannot find a straight course. So, so take note of something there, is that that wisdom, it doesn't say who is doing the guiding. It's not necessarily rooted in anything. One of the things that is what makes Proverbs in the Bible so rich and so valuable and lasting is that it has a way of taking mundane sayings and that provide just that practical insight and it begins to transform them, to turn them into a theological, holistic perspective of wisdom. It, it roots wisdom in the eternal. And it needs to be rooted in the eternal so that it will last. Now consider this in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will. Seek Yahweh's will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. It's basically the same scripture, basically the same saying, except the Hebrews, the, the, the Hebrew um, proverb roots it in God. And so when we begin to look for wisdom in our lives, it needs to be rooted in God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, the wisdom, that 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 comes through relationship with God through Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want to leave you with is to discover eternally relevant wisdom by being curious. The ancient rabbis and sages um, had this strong belief uh, in the Holy Scriptures and especially in Proverbs that uh, the Scriptures were eternally relevant. Meaning there were all these applicable to our lives. So even if you read a Scripture and you said, first of all, I have no idea what that means. Second of all, it has no application to my life. The, The rabbis and the sages believed that it was relevant, eternally relevant. I want to read a bit of um, a a passage here that describes this. It says, Torah, the Bible, to the rabbis was an eternally relevant book because it was written, dictated, inspired, it, it doesn't matter, by a perfect author. An author who intended it to be eternal. In the words of one famous passage about the Torah, found in the Mishnah, 
Turn it and turn it again, for everything is contained therein. Now, when I made the slideshow, this was a, like a GIF and it, or a GIF, however you want to say it, and it was moving. It was really cool. Didn't translate, but that's okay. It was for my own amusement, anyways. Um, and, and so the idea is that Scripture is eternally relevant— And we, in order to find that relevance, must continually turn it and turn it and turn it, just like the Rubik's Cube. You have to turn it and look at all the faces of it in order to figure it out. It's like a diamond. You have to turn it in the light to see all of the different facets of it, to appreciate the beauty, to soak it all in. That is what the rabbis call us to do with the Holy Scriptures is to turn them over and over and over again. But you can't do that from one perspective. You can't do that from only your one view. And so I believe God is calling us to be curious, to explore the world around us, so many of us are creatures of habit. We eat the same food. We, um, we drive the same way to work every morning. We do the same things at work. You know, we, we just, we do all of these things that we're, we're creatures of habit. And so I would just encourage you to look at the world a little differently. To look at the world in such a way that you experience it different. Maybe that's just take a different uh, route on your after your evening walk. Maybe it's that drive a different route home. Have a different flavor of ice cream. Watch a different TV show. My kids watch this YouTube stuff. Um, and, and, and if you, any of you have kids and they watch this YouTube, it's, it's, Completely, I, my, I want to lose my mind. <laughs> and so occasionally my, my wife and I will finally, like, okay, we've had enough of this. Like, you, you can still watch TV, but you got to put something else on. And so we'll, we'll a lot of times, like, put Disney on, watch, you know, an animal show. Like, anything but YouTube. Mr. Beast is, is we're done with that, right? But the idea is, like, watch something where you're learning something, and experiencing the world in a different way. My, my wife and I, when we go on vacations, we love to go different places and experience different things when we do that. Right? Some of us, they, we want to go to the beach. We want to stay in the same house. We want to go on the same dates. And we prefer the sand be in the same place when we left it last time. And look, that's okay. I'm not saying you can't do that. There is a, a, a comfort in the rhythms and rituals of the church and of life. It does ground us in a certain way. But I think if we're going to discover an eternally relevant wisdom, we have to be curious. So this picture up here, that's Nate Dorner, who he reads sometimes. He sent me that and said, you should put this in the, in the message. This is Nate being curious and experiencing the world in a different way. This is me up top there. Um, we went to Colonial Williamsburg a few weeks ago for vacation, um, and that's the, the little church in Jamestown, the original settlement. So Sunday morning, I preached a sermon from there. I, I stood it, and they took a picture. Um, but we get to experience different things. So the, the last piece here, though, is a way for you to experience 
different things, to be curious, to grow. And, and that's the Mosaics Conference. The Mosaics Conference uh, is going to be November 8th through 10th in Dallas, Texas. You can sign up at mosaicsconference.com. It's small on the screen, I know. But you, you can come. It's going to be a conference of, of church leaders and, and community leaders from all over the country, all over the world, that bring different perspectives. Now, if you can't fly out there, um, there will be an online option that I would encourage you to consider doing. Some of the, the speakers have been at our church, but a lot have not. And the best haven't. Chip can't get the best in. I, I, don't, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. We've had the best of the best here. But, but my point is, is this is a way to remain curious about your faith and about the world that you live in. Maybe it's as simple as going up to someone at the end of church and introducing yourself. Someone that maybe doesn't look like you. And around here, it's at, at Garfield Memorial Church, it's really easy to find somebody that doesn't look like you. If nothing else, they let a guy like this up here, and I don't look like none of you. But the point is, is one of the reasons I am at this church is the diversity of our people that reflects the Revelation 7-9, the kingdom of God. But it allows us to be curious. It's okay to, reckon, to notice differences. But let us then learn from them and be filled with them and to discover wisdom from each and every child of God that we come in contact with. So stay curious and stay rooted in the Lord. I want to end with the scripture, the final book of the Bible. Where Jesus says, see I am coming soon, my reward is with me, to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we're done. Jesus is the beginning, God is the beginning, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, but God is also the end. He is the end of wisdom. And we are now living in the middle of wisdom. And I want you to not just start at the beginning and finish at the end, but I want you to live in the middle. Jesus says, I came to give them life and life abundance. Jesus, the, the, the Wesleyan um, perspective of salvation is, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And so I invite you to live continually in relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, but to continually discover wisdom and allow your life not to be driven by fear but to be lifted up by life and life itself by that perfect and eternal author. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are an eternal God, that you are slow to anger, that you are merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God, you are good, and we thank you for that. Lord, we also recognize you are powerful and that you are just. And so we humbly 
and reverentially bow before you, acknowledging that you are God and that we are not. Forgive us of our sins, O Lord. Forgive us of our trespasses, our transgressions, and purify us. May you cleanse our lips and transform our hearts and free us from fear to live in the presence of the Almighty. And as we live in your presence, fill us with wisdom so that we might live a life and live it abundant. And might we, in that abundance, bless others and bless this world. So your prayer, may it be in heaven, may it be on earth as it is in heaven, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.